Hey, Jim, guess what? What? It's time for another episode of Knit a Spell. Light from Lantern presents Knit a Spell. I'm magical maker, Katie Rempe. And I'm the maker of magic, James Devine. Join us as we stitch together the symbiotic relationship between crafting and the craft. And this week, we're talking about something that's going to put you in knots. (laughs) It will? My stomach in knots? Well, maybe not your stomach, but we'll see. Uh, This week, we're talking about Celtic knots and cables. Ooh, yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I realized when we were talking about this, suddenly all of the Celtic knot work that I have around the house suddenly became visible to me. Like it's on so many tapestries we have. And as you enter the house, we have these, this little sticker, this clear decal that's on the window and the door. And it's got these cats that are sort of chasing each other, these three cats, but they're like these Celtic cats and yeah, it's everywhere. It's so ubiquitous in sort of, witchy or pagan like iconography any everywhere oh it's, my gosh yes are you noticing it everywhere now that we've been like talking about mm-hmm. it uh you know it's funny i've actually noticed that in several of our episodes that things that we talk about like the sun and moon and the ouroboros uh will suddenly pop up in all sorts of unexpected places including brief side tangent if anybody is a fan of the tv show what we do in the shadows their newest episode where they go to the casino has a shot where nandor is learning about the big bang theory and he explains what he knew about how everything worked being um the world sitting on top of uh four elephants sitting on top of a turtle that everything went around on which is exactly what we talked about in our last episode so So funny right i was like what is happening but what's the (laughs) turtle standing on more elephants four more noble elephants what are they standing on Nothing. You know what I say? <laughs> it's from a book. Oh, and then inside the snake. Yes. So. It's turtles. It's just turtles all the way. It's just turtles, turtles all the way. Yeah. Turtle <laughs> elephant sandwich. It's wonderful. So, um, so brief tangent, but uh, but oh yeah, God, so, so just like that, um, then you see like, okay, well, Celtic knots aren't just like in Celtic like artwork and things. It's also all over um yeah. Catholic symbology and whatnot because it was adapted there too. So I want to I want to know if the listeners, if you've listened to one of our episodes and then that thing that you heard about starts to show up everywhere, totally mm-hmm. send us a message. I want to know about that. That's so fun. Yes, please. Yeah. I need to know that we're not the only ones. <laughs> yeah. Also. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh so yeah, I thought uh this would be a fun episode because like I said, it's strangely connected to everything we've been talking about this month, of course. And as a knitter, you might be aware of the, quote, Aaron jumpers or fisherman sweaters, which has Celtic cable not work in it. Um, something that has become extremely modernized now, but was uh, originated in extremely interesting and deep history, which I'm excited to get into now. Yeah, that's this is so cool. I can't wait. Well, and the other note Mm. is this week, something astrological happens. The panic ensues. (laughs) Everyone brace yourself. Yes. Mercury retrograde. It's coming back. 
So I want to just tell everyone, Mercury goes retrograde often, three times a year. Yeah. At least, right? Mm -hmm. Mercury is orbiting very close to the sun. It goes retrograde all the time. It's a normal occurrence. Let's hashtag normalize Mercury retrograde. Ooh, I'm so down for this. Yes. Okay. The panic that we start to see on social media or like with all of our witchy woo friends who are like, Mm -hmm. I can't, I literally can't even because Mercury is retrograde. Let's stop that. Mm -hmm. This is the reminder for you to rest, digest, review, Mm -hmm. and where Mercury is retrograde in what, and, and how does it interact with your chart? All of those things are important to look at different ways that you review what you're doing. So we can talk about that in future episodes, but we've talked about it already in our Mercury retrograde episode in the past. Yes. Re- review that episode. Re-listen yes. to that episode. It's a perfect thing for you to do. I agree. Full of information that can be used no matter what. I promise you will not regret it. <laughs> and All right. also the perfect time to cast on a traveler's talisman. Just to say. Let's talk about the magic of Celtic knots. So Katie, first, I think we need to talk about who are the Celts? What are they? I learned a ton. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Yeah, we learned so much that um, the Celts is probably not what they even, well, it's not what they went by and we don't even know. Um, Celts was what uh, the Romans, I believe, or the Greeks. I think it was the Greeks. I think it was the Greeks called them Celtoi. Mm, yep. And that nickname of Keltoi stuck. Like the Greeks were just like, those people are called Keltoi. And then that's yeah. then why we call them the Celts or the Celtic people today. The Romans, yeah. another name for them, like Gala something. I don't know. So you think about the Greeks lived in Greece and at the height of the Greek empire, Greece expanded out to parts of Turkey and sort of parts beyond Greece, sort of north of Greece and all around the Aegean Sea and sort of occupied that. At the height of the Roman Empire, Rome occupied huge swaths of, you know, Europe and all over the place. Mm. But who lived there before Rome was at its height or before Greece was at its height? Mm -hmm. Like who was in Germany and Poland and you know, all those other countries in Europe, right? In Central Europe, Austria, Chechnya, Poland, Slovakia, Hungary, Romania, mm-hmm. who lived there. Yeah, it turns out a whole mess of people who weren't Greek nor Roman. <laughs> Imagine that. In fact, these are the people that were known as the, quote, Celts. So, <clears throat> and uh, weren't just, you know, a singular group of folks, but actually, um, I believe like six or seven distinct uh, cultures that shared a uh, same language. So um, with uh, the territory reaching from Spain to the Black Sea, so quite an expansive territory for them to bump up into. And I mean, the Romans and the Greeks both have documented that they were pretty fierce people, warriors to like battle with, mm-hmm. right? Well, if you have that much territory, I'm imagining, you know, you might you might have some strengths. <laughs> and you might defend it pretty fiercely. Yeah, as I'm sure the Romans and the Greeks did as well. Mm. Yeah. And so this is like six centuries before the Common Era. So 600 years mm. BCE, mm. right? 
that we have some evidence, maybe even before that, that this sort of like shared language and sort of this shared sort of, um, you know, culture and distinctive language of tribes that we know of. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty fascinating that this is like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Oh yeah. And the fact that their art, um, you know, was so influential over this time period um, is really impressive. And just like we were talking about, before, you know, it's kind of funny to think that um, maybe if this culture wasn't conquered, that maybe we would have lost some of this artwork um, without it being, you know, kind of adapted by um, the new people taking over. So, right. Or if, if they would have just died out or disappeared, we may sure. not have had some of like the culture, like if, if they would have retained you know, dominance, we would have had it. Mm-hmm. But if the fact that they were cultured, that they were conquered by Rome, Mm-hmm. And that Rome appreciated some of the things of the Celtic culture mm. um, means that we have some things. We have Celtic knotwork. We have some of those uh, things. So Rome was really good, well, really bad. But one of the things that they did is the things that they liked, they incorporated into their own culture. So you can go to Rome and you can see Celtic knotwork incorporated into tiles and mosaics and churches and all kinds of things temples um so they would take what they wanted and i don't know where we get this from in our culture today i don't yes. know where we learned it from mm, imagine that. we would just grab what we wanted and then incorporate it into our own culture and appropriate mm. it right yes so we learned that from pop from daddy rome right from our cultural underpinnings of rome so let's talk about celtic knotwork like we've all seen it but would you describe it katie how do i know i'm looking at celtic knotwork as opposed to something else um so i have learned that it's all it's all very natural. So um, the Celtics were nature worshipers. Um, and so I feel like the symbols that they used, you know, they weren't necessarily for specific things. They were more for like universal symbols. For instance, like the the knot that is quite often now seen as like the Trinity knot. Um, that wasn't really supposed to be like a Catholic symbol, although it was adapted as one. Um, you know, it was initially meant for more of um, like the heavens, universe, and cosmos kind of all being the Trinity together. So that's one way. Um, and then, of course, in their knitting, specifically in the Aran Islands, that's where the whole fisherman's knit sweater, aka Aran jumper, started. And that has its own symbology that I'm excited to jump into. Yeah, so there's all kinds of, I think of Celtic knotwork being really identified because it is very sort of woven together. It's almost seems to have a little bit of like a sacred geometry Mm. type of flavor to it where you have knots that are like, they're all cut out, like they don't touch, like Mm -hmm. it's lines that overlap, but they're sort of cut out from each other right? They don't actually like the drawings don't touch each other and they're all woven in and out in a very intricate patterns. And you'll see them bordering different, like, you know, as edges or borders on things. And it's almost like a maze, right? Mm. And you try to follow it and then you're like lost or it's mesmerizing. Really amazing. That's the key word there. Mesmerizing. Yeah. 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 Mm. And very symbolic. You see um, sometimes it's 
images of like a figure, like you'll see like a human figure or animals that are sometimes done in this sort of nut work. Mm-hmm. And I live in, the, well, both of us live in the Pacific Northwest and we see like that um, in the Pacific Northwest, the native Pacific Northwest native people have a certain way of depicting animals and birds and plants. And it kind of reminds me of a very specific, there's a very specific way that the Pacific Northwest art depicts animals. There's a very specific way that the Celtic art depicts people and animals as well as sort of a knot work, right? They yeah. have their their tails and their arms and their legs intertwined with each other. Yes. It's a really distinctive thing. And I'm, I'm sure that most of the people listening have heard it before, but it's easy to Google and just sort of see that. So some of the like meanings of some of the there's some symbols or some things that have specific meanings of some of the knots or the symbology. Yeah. So I did look up some of the more basic symbol meanings. Um, and basically, you know, it's there's a lot of spirals, which again is very uh, sacred geometry related, which makes sense since sacred geometry has been recorded for like longer than I'm sure the Celts have been around. So one symbol in particular that I know people will recognize is the cross with the circle around it. Big symbol. So this Oh yeah, is, symbol of Jesus. Ex- yeah. Oh yeah. In the resurrection. Oh, exactly. Or it could also symbolize the sun as the circle and then the cross being the four elements. So sort of like again, since, the universe. Since the Celts predate Christianity. Yes. By Many centuries. Many, <laughs> yes. In fact, they were more pagan religion than anything. <laughs> yeah, <So>. definitely. <laughs> and then just generally, um, again, one spiral could mean the sun, two would mean more of like the equinox, and then three would mean heaven, cosmos, and water. Again, just using them as analogies for the universe and balance within it. So is there any evidence of, I just think about like, when I think about the like dancing the spiral or moving in a spiral. I mean, Mm. when I think about modern paganism today and how humans, you know, move it today. So the Celts still exist. They're still Celtic places where the Celts exist today are still in Ireland, Mm. parts of England. There's still Celtic language that's being spoken. And some of the Celtic tradition or culture linger and um, not in, I mean, what we know of today, probably not, you know, what it was obviously, Mm. but there's still some you know, evidence and, and some things that still linger, certainly in language, right? In yes. Gaelic and, and some of that still exists. And you'll still see evidence of, you know, the culture that still remains in the British Isles. I think a lot of the Celtic sort of identity has resurged as a resistance to British rule, mm. especially as sort of an identity in people. I think about modern sort of neo-paganism. There's a movement of like Celtic reconstructionism where people are researching, and I have done very little of this, but people research the Celtic practices, the Celtic pagan practices, the pre-Christian practices, and are reconstructing those and trying to figure out like, what did the ancient Celts actually do? What was their what was their magical practice? What did they, how did they worship nature? How did they practice and what deities did they worship and how did they worship things? And so you have like the Druids and Stonehenge and mounds, burial mounds, and you've got these sacred sites. You find buried things that are buried underground with different, you know, magical things and super fascinating things. And a lot of it is 
anthropologically, and I don't mean this as a judgment, I mean, anthropologically, there's some conjecture, which means we don't scientifically know or have, um, you know, true evidence because there isn't like written sort of like, what right. is this for? But we have anthropological conjecture on like where we, what we think this might've been or what, how it might've been used. Um, and there's also really interesting bogs and, and, you know, places in, in England where humans are buried and they are preserved because of the nature of the land. Mm-hmm. And you have these, you know, human remains that are pretty much intact Ooh. and we find fascinating, you know, like mummified remains that are being studied. Mm-hmm. And so that stuff is super, super cool. And so. Anyway, but I think about dancing the spiral dance, right? And this is a way of dancing in a spiral, which is, again, pretty a pretty universal symbol. We see that in North American indigenous cultures. We see it in Africa. We see it all over the world. The spiral is pretty universal. Yep. Um, but I just can't help but wonder if people would move in these patterns of Celtic knot and how in modern neopaganism, we think about that being a very powerful um, you know, magical act. Did you find anything like that in your research with movement? I didn't specifically see movement, but I mean, it does kind of make me think of like knitting. Even the act of knitting is sort of working small spirals, if you think about it. And again, yeah. if you're working in quote circular knitting, you're not actually working a circle because as soon as you got around, you'd be done. You're working in a spiral. You're working on, you know, like a barber's pole. So right. it so it does show up there. Um, and then I guess, you know, just the physical act of really crossing the um, the stitches of the knitting. I guess that would kind of be like the dance of the craft. <laughs> yeah, I really yeah. think about, um, I can't wait to talk about the sweater. Like I know, the, or, <laughs> and knitting. I, I think knitting and crochet and just like fiber arts are really such a specific like reference mm-hmm. and can be, can be a very specific reference to not work because it really is not magic, right? Yeah, exactly. So, well, let's take a break. And when we come back, I want to know all about this fisherman sweater because it sounds both macabre and fascinating (laughs) um, from what I've heard about it. So um, let's take a break and when we come back, let's learn all about the, is it Aaron? Aaron? Yes. Uh, Well, you know, it probably just depends on your uh, preferred. Tomato, tomato. Let's learn about this sweater. And what it means. Very good. We'll be right back. Katie. Jim. What craft do you do? Oh, that's a great question. Actually, I'd like to know that about all of our listeners. What craft do you do? Hey, you. What craft do you do? That's right. Email us or reach out to us on Instagram at knitispell or knitispell.com or knitispellpodcast at gmail.com and tell us what craft you do. Is it a fiber craft? Is it a magical craft? Is it all of these things? Is it something entirely different? We would like to know. Do, do you paint? Ooh. Do you draw? So? Maybe you sew? Maybe you do flow arts. Ooh. Maybe you're one of those amazing people on the beach with the glowing orbs that circle around you. Like they're not even attached to your body. Yeah. Maybe you talk to dead people and it's no big deal. Let's, let's, let's chat. Reach out. Yeah. I want to know what craft you do. What Let craft us you know do? Yes. what craft you do. Yeah, we'd like to know. Thank We're you. actually asking you to <laughs> send us an email and let us know. 
Yes, please do. And it's appreciated. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Hey, Magical Makers. Guess what? You can now get sun and moon yarn kits from uuyarns.com. That's E-W-E. E-W-E yarns.com. My sun and moon shawl features two different weights of yarn. A smaller version can be made in fluffy fingering and a larger version can be made out of woolly worsted. Both of these 100% merino yarns are super wash and the color combinations are amazing. I even worked with Heather at UU Yarns to pre-coordinate several color combos that I think you guys will love. Learn more in our show notes or check out the kit at uuyarns.com. I don't think a lot of people necessarily think of getting a palm reading. I know there's a lot of things on the palm that people think are good or bad, right? There's nothing inherently negative in your palm. You can use all the tools, all the markings. They are associated with your strengths, your personality, and things you can use in your life. I think everyone would enjoy a reading from you and... Dear listener, if you too would like a fantastic experience that offers insight, direction, and clarity, I highly suggest booking a session with my dear friend, James Devine, and you can find more information at thedivinedhand.com. And we're back. So Yay. in this second half, like we said, we're going to talk a little bit about the knitting world and how uh, the Aaron sweater swept the nation. <laughs> what so, nation? Well, I mean, I guess everyone, but it specifically came from the Aran Islands. Imagine that. <laughs> Where is the... I've never heard of the Aran Islands. Yes, it's in Ireland. The Aran Islands is a small island where the Aran sweater, traditionally known as the fisherman sweater, originated. And unlike today, where we make them, you know, because it's fun and we can, <laughs> they were made originally for like a really useful tool to help people survive in the horrible weather. So <laughs> you said, you told me it was made to protect a fisherman from bad weather. Yes. My question is, and so I think I've seen a picture of this. Can you, but can you describe the sweater? What does it look like? What does a general basic sweater look like? So the first thing that will come to mind usually is a cream color. Uh, Traditionally, they were only used uh, or only made in the, you know, natural color of the sheep, which was quite often sort of like a, like an off white. Um, So it was. color exactly uh and then the next image that will usually come to mind for people is just a sweater that is riddled with cables i mean it's got texture and it's got cables of varying sizes um shapes and degrees going all the way up and down the sweater um and so i did a little research about you know like why and all of this stuff why was wool used for these sweaters well it was uh, something that they had readily available but also wool is a magical fiber as it is able to absorb 30 percent of its uh, weight of water before it actually feels wet um it's yeah it's magically wicking it will keep you cool when you're hot and warm when you're cold and like i said because it uh it doesn't really absorb uh, water or anything. It also self-extinguishes. It's often why baby items were used in wool is because you can't light it aflame. It will just go out. Well, I used to work for a big outdoor retailer and a lot of hiking gear, like what they say about people who are backpacking or climbing is cotton kills. Yes. Right. But wool is what things like a high end wool that isn't chafing and that is not itchy. So undergarments or even hiking gear is made out of wool. A lot of times. I mean, I have a 
really high end technical shirt. Yep. Not that I'm high, a big hiker, but it is made of it's it feels like it's polyester, but it's not, it's wool. Yeah. And it's amazing, an amazing shirt. Yeah. And the magic of that is unlike doing a synthetic alternative, wool does not hold on to stink. Synthetic will eventually get a funk that you cannot remove. <laughs> I've noticed that. Yeah, yeah. So that's but just wool the will not element. hold on. Wool no. won't hold on to a funk. Nope. It won't hold on to your fire and it won't hold on to your funk. So <laughs> wow. okay. So when you say that um, f- that it was designed to protect fishermen from bad weather. Mm-hmm. Practically, I understand, but does it also mean magically? You know, I think there was probably a lot of intent that went into, you know, like the 100,000 stitches it takes to make about one of these sweaters. Yes. No way. Yes. <laughs> Wait, is that how much it takes to make a normal sweater? Um, no. So because you have to do all the crosses and everything, uh, it's a lot more elaborate than some things could be. However, you know, a a normal sweater could probably be half that if you weren't going for the, uh, extra incentive to make it all textural. So, (laughs) yeah. So it uses more yarn too. Two sweaters in one. Yes. It's almost like a, a double or triple knit thickness. Wow. Which is really handy if you are going into the sea where you're going to be just totally hammered by the elements. So. In those northern latitudes, yeah. Oof, yes. So, uh, and this is the wool that's like um, everyone's nightmare wool. You know, this is like the original rustic wool. They want all the lanolin in it. They want it to be kind of rough because that's what keeps in the warmth. That's like the really quality um, workhorse warmth fiber. Oh, so this is the stinky wool. Yes. <laughs> this is the wool that smells like the sheep. It still smells like the sheep. I mean, yeah. it probably has been combed out of all the straw. Like, yes, likely there was hand combing and some laundering to an extent, but I'm guessing that there's probably still a lot of um, animal oils in there to give it a uh, authentic smell, we'll say. <laughs> <laughs> so... So yes, um, and then so as time went on, uh, different clans would create certain stitch patterns to identify um, who the person was that was wearing it, because unfortunately, quite often, if seas were rough and someone washed over, when the body would wash up on shore, eventually the sweater was what actually identified who they belonged to, because a, a body does not do well in water. But guess what? The sweater wasn't doing so bad. You would identify a person by the cable pattern, mm-hmm. and every fisherman had their own cable pattern. Yes, every clan so, had certain stitches that they would use. Mm-hmm. That's macabre. That's so like. It's interesting. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the cable stitch is uh, sort of seen as like a depiction of the fisherman's ropes, right? That's, I think, where the fisherman knit sweater kind of terminology came around, Um, even though Aaron knit is also used. But again, I think that's probably a more popular terminology, at least modern times in Europe, as opposed to here. I guess, yeah, I've I've thought of the cable. It's like the sort of like they cross Mm -hmm. back and forth, Indeed. you know. I, yeah. I think of that like it's kind of I don't know if it's necessary. It kind of goes in and out of fashion mm-hmm. for all of us land lovers, right? Yeah. <laughs> right like exactly. you, you have this cable knit sweater is like you know you have like a cable 
every so often mm-hmm. and they're like go back and forth but i don't think of that is there's only one type of cable or are there other patterns oh no there are so many stitches and what? so many cables that you can do you can I mean, you know, if this is like a great opportunity for you to put like numerology magic into it, you could do like a one by two cable or a four by three cable. I mean, you can knit some and purl other stitches to make a different background underneath it to make it more dimensional. Um, You can use like a zigzag stitch or a half diamond. There's tons and tons and tons. I mean, there's probably as many cable patterns as there are Celtic designs, you know, in their initial weaving patterns. So... Wow. Yeah. So you, I mean, those cables kind of look like Celtic knotwork. So you could probably do an entire actual Celtic knotwork using cabling techniques on a sweater. Probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. It's very and do those have different meanings? Do they have different significance? Uh, yeah. So the diamond stitch pattern uh, reflected the small fields on the island, which is also an influence from the Irish moss stitch. Uh, the zigzag stitch and half diamond were often used. And um, oh, like the tree of life symbol can be worked into um, not works. I've seen them in blankets and on the back of sweaters, you know, not necessarily um, in a fisherman knit sweater, but sort of uh, adapted into the modern age as more of a, a motif. And so, yeah, it's it's been really beautiful to see how something so functional has turned into something now more more of an art, you know? We don't necessarily, quote, have to do it, um, but because we get to, we can sort of work on crossing over different influences and seeing where the more modern takes come from, I guess. But I do have to wonder, you know, with all of our our modernization of things, you know, the first um, Aaron sweater appeared in Vogue in 1956. So it's it's been around a while, but also not that long, you know. And I wonder, has has some of the magic been lost over the years now that we're we're using like, we're, you know, we're not so into the symbology of the stitches and we maybe don't take as much time to appreciate needing to make the sweater. And we're using products like, you know, superwash wools to purposefully take out elements that used to be helpful and necessary. It's interesting. I don't know. Yeah, I think that, you know, we also don't have that necessity, right? Mm -hmm. Mother is the, I mean, necessity is the mother of invention, right? So there is this like necessity to have this sweater that is protective these days, fishermen are out there with their Gore-Tex mm. and they're like waterproof, you know, bright yellow yeah. with their GPS locator embedded in their, you know, PFDs to try right. to have them survive yeah. if they go overboard. Right. Mm. Um, so this is, there's all this stuff out there, you know, that is, a, it's a different world, right? Mm. That's sort of antiquated technology. Yeah. So it is kind of interesting. I'm just an old soul. <laughs> yeah, you are. I mean, but I think it's interesting that like, what does it mean now? How can we incorporate that now? It's fascinating to think about like, what could be incorporated these days into Mm -hmm. garment making? Can I be inspired by that? Can I be protected? Maybe not from the literal bad weather of Mm -hmm. a storm, but could I incorporate some of those like patterns and be like protected from psychic bad weather? or from magical bad weather, I would start to think about like, how could we incorporate these things into like, think about a bedspread, 
you know, for the autumn time. That is a great idea for incorporating something into protecting me from bad dreams Mm. or something like that to carry on some Celtic knot work or, you know, crochet or knit, you know, squares. I have a beautiful knit bedspread from a, um, you know, it's an antique that's been passed down to my family and there's squares of knit patterns, right. That have stars sort of like bubbles of like star sort of cables, like these diamond cables that are bubbled out. And I just think about that and how those, those squares are just all then sewn together in this huge, larger than a king size, you know, bedspread. And I think about that and it's white. It's like the color of sheep. Right. Yep. And it's probably from the forties. So it's probably super wash or something even worse. Who knows? Probably acrylic. Yeah. Um, I think it's wool. It might be acrylic. Okay. It could be wool. It could be a wool. It's probably acrylic. Anyway, so that thing is like heavy and warm. But how cool would that be to make granny like granny squares, but knit granny squares or crochet squares with symbolism in it for good night's sleep or to protect Mm. you, right? Or if you're going to do cables, right, you could be knitting something or doing something with cables in that way to protect you from the dreams or to be inspired by this and knit a sweater with cables. You know, think of it as seaweed or think of it as, you know, incorporating Celtic knotwork into it. How cool would that be? Oh, I mean, I'm like kind of inspired to almost flesh out like, what would my family clan uh, sweater look like exactly, you know? I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to have cables. It could have some color work on there too. So maybe the more modern take is it's protecting yourself, like you said, instead of the physical elements, it's more of the mental elements. <laughs> or the psychic elements or the magical, yeah. or like getting it in line with like, Yeah, the energy. You know. mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm, okay. Yeah, I'm down for that. If you know somebody that's fishing or you know someone that does go out, maybe you do want to make them an actual fisherman sweater for sure and learn the ancient craft. I mean, you could null bind it if you wanted. There you go. My goal is to bring up null binding in every episode. Please, if you know how to do null binding, could you please email knitaspelledpodcast at gmail.com? So that Jim will shut the hell up about it. No way. I want an episode about it. We want to have you on. (laughs) Well, I'm uh, certainly inspired to do some cable work in an upcoming project sooner than later. Maybe, maybe, maybe a fun project would be like a, like a tarot deck cover like cozy with some cables in there to protect it from certain things lock it up you know or make its path like less noticeable or something Hmm. i would love a tarot bag with protective celtic knot work on that would be amazing Hmm. Hmm. well this has been fun yeah i'm uh very inspired to get to knitting (laughs) i don't know about you it's so cool yeah i'm inspired to do some magic yeah. Well, yeah. Magic and making. Wonderful. Well, it's so awesome. So what do you have going on? I have something really fun I want to tell people about. Oh, tell me. In mid-October, I am teaching Introduction to Palmistry. And if you are on my website, thedivinehand.com, you can sign up to take Introduction to Palmistry for sessions. Ooh. You can learn 
to read hands, to read palms. It is the funnest class. So go to my website and read about it. There's a bunch of reviews on my website that tell you all about it. It's so fun. I think it's fun, but the people who've taken the class before will highly recommend it. And um, I think it's worth people who are listening uh, to check it out. Oh, yeah, I agree. And this is an uh, an opportunity to get one-on-one access with you too during the class, right? Yeah, I mean, well, 10 on one or 20 class. on one or however yeah. many are in the class, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah, Super it's not fun. just like recorded. It's actually live. No, it's live. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so cool. Well, you know where to go to find out more. It's thedivinehand.com. We talked about several things Light from Lantern is doing, like the Traveler's Talisman. And when Katie creates a bag for your tarot deck. That's right. You will find out by subscribing to the Light from Lantern newsletter, which is a great newsletter at lightfromlantern.com. You can follow her on Instagram at lightfromlantern. Do all of that. We love it. Katie's awesome. And you can find Jim, of course, on Instagram, Divine Hand Jim. And uh, don't forget to uh, check out his Meet a Mystic show every Tuesday at 11 Pacific time. uh, And that's in the AM. A great episode as always, Jim. And I look forward to next week. Yay. See you next week. All right. See you later, everybody. This episode is a wrap. If you enjoyed what you heard, go ahead and follow us on your favorite podcast streaming app. And don't forget, you can see full video episodes of Knit a Spell on Light from Lantern's YouTube channel.